Would we please turn to uh, John chapter 17? That'll be where we'll be beginning our study this morning. John chapter 17. Good to see everyone this morning. We're thankful for those of you who are listening on uh, the internet, Facebook. Thank you for doing that. Uh, hope and trust that you had good holidays, enjoyed the holidays, uh, and it's good to see you out to the, today, this morning, to study together. John chapter 17, let's read, read that chapter right quick. It's a relatively short chapter of 26 verses. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given to me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours. And yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but you, that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. In the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. In them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you, 
you gave me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. It was a few weeks ago, uh, I think with uh, chapter 14 or so, uh, Larry mentioned uh, in his study uh, that the Lord and the apostles leave the upper room. And, and from that point, they are in transit to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so as we look at, at chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, this is a, a dialogue primarily uh, with Jesus speaking with those, with those apostles as they're, they're making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, I, I know that uh, in the early part of chapter 18, uh, it says, and they went out across the brook of, of um, well, the name of it escapes me off the top of my head, but they, they went out. It's, that, that term is in, in chapter, the early part of chapter 18, so... I've wondered if maybe uh, when Jesus speaks of in, in chapter 14 and says, let us go out, if the out is what he's speaking of in 18, that maybe it wasn't while they were in transit to the Garden of Gethsemane, but maybe the conversation took place uh, in the upper room. That's not really very relevant uh, where, it, where it happened because it's recorded. Uh, it's... it's uh, recorded by John, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit, so we know it to be accurate. But we'll, we'll go with the thought that it takes place along the way, on their way to the, uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. Just about all of the 26 verses that we've read this morning here in chapter 17 uh, are a prayer that Jesus offers on this night uh, that uh, he's going to be be betrayed, and he's, he's offering it in contemplation of the cross and what, what's facing him. Uh, I believe Paul will probably be teaching next week, or probably the following week, chapter 18. Is that right, Paul? And so uh, he'll pick up with chapter 18 where they actually enter into the Garden of Gethsemane, and then you have the subsequent betrayal of Christ by Judas, uh, and then the Lord's taken into custody tried and, and crucified. Matthew chapter 6 verses 9-13 is a passage that uh, is familiar among Christians, but you know, I would, I would go a little further and say it's, it's probably one of the more familiar passages that you would hear out in the world, uh, in the secular world. Uh, it's often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I remember uh, I was thinking in preparation of this, this lesson here, remembering like uh, when I was on athletic teams and they would pray, uh, they'd say the Lord's Prayer, you know, and it was almost like a mechanical thing. You know what I'm, I'm saying? Uh, people say it like that and they think they've prayed when in, in fact they just went through a, a, a procedure, if you will, as opposed to actually you know, praying from their heart. Uh, very often repeated, and it's a model prayer that the Lord taught during the, the Sermon on the Mount and the fact that, that 
really many repeat it, like I've said, actually shows their lack of understanding of the Scripture. Um, the Lord prayed in that prayer for the kingdom to come. And, and as I said, people repeat it in repeating the Lord's prayer. The kingdom is the church. And the church has come. So why are you praying for it to come? What you should be praying for is the church and for it to be growing and to be furthered in the world uh, for the kingdom to be spread. Uh, and as I said, I remember, you know, in my, my early years and through the years hearing that done, people just repeating it. Uh, I have read and I have heard more than once that the prayer that we've read this morning in John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer. In this prayer, the Lord prays first for Himself, then for His disciples, and then for the whole world and all the ages to come uh, in the future. There was a Lutheran scholar... Uh, a fellow named David Catreus in the 16th century, he referred to this prayer as the high, high priestly prayer. Uh, and he called it this prayer because what Jesus is actually doing in this prayer is, is he's exercising his high priestly office in that he's taking on the sins of the people and he's offering up prayer and sacrifice for his sins. You know, he, he takes on the role of the high priest, as, you know, would be talked about, for instance, in Hebrews. The difference, however, between him as the high priest and, uh, I don't know the right word to put it, but I'll say a normal high priest, a regular high priest, is that he did not offer up sacrifice first for his own sins. And that's very easily explained, isn't it? Because he was sinless, and there was no need for a sacrifice for that. The Jewish priest had to first offer their, a sacrifice for their sins uh, before they would offer the sacrifice for the people. He didn't, you know, Jesus didn't offer up an animal sacrifice because he was both the priest and the sacrifice. He was the sacrifice in, in offering up himself as the atonement for his sins. And so the prayer as we've read it this morning, as I've already mentioned, is broken down maybe into three places or three sections. Verses 1 through 5 are a prayer for himself. And then verses 6 through 19 are a prayer for the apostles. And then concluding it in verses 20 through 26 is a prayer for everyone of, of all generations who, who, who would believe on Him or in Him. And so let's just take it in that, in that context. Let's look at those sections and talk about those sections uh, together and uh, uh, break it down like that. So we'll, we'll focus on verses 1 through 5 to begin with. Jesus prays that He might be glorified. And it, it, it seems to me that, you know, in the context of this, and, and as, as 
you know, Paul will talk about in verse, in chapter 18, you know, in a couple of weeks. Uh, and as we go a little further into the, uh, uh, the crucifixion, the, our leading, the events leading up to the crucifixion, is that Jesus, uh, the Lord Jesus spends these last moments, these last hours, before he's betrayed, in what he, he feels to be of the utmost importance, and that is in prayer. And there's a lesson in and of itself there. Anything that we're facing, Nancy and I were, were riding in uh, this morning, and um, um, you know we're all concerned about what happened up in Nashville. Uh, my daughter lives in Nashville and works just a few blocks from where that happened. So it's a great concern to us. But she asked me, you know, had a seen any new news this morning, which I, I had not. And we started talking about news and um, the events that we've witnessed these last few weeks. And it's scary, isn't it? It's fearful to see what's going on. Our great country is under attack, is it not? And... Uh, you know, we worry about it. We wonder what we can do. And she, she made the comment. That's why I wanted to get to this point. That stuff's really not that relevant. What do you do? Can you answer that? What can we do? Pray. Absolutely. Put it in God's hands. And trust in God. And pray. And pray without ceasing about it. And I think that's exactly the, the truth. That That's the answer. And, um, and then we... You know, where, whatever God, however God answers that prayer, is, is we take that and we accept that and we live with that. Anyway, back on track. I'm, I'm sorry, I went off on a tangent. God would hear them, yes. Brother Nason said, pointed out that the children of Israel, every time they got into a bad situation, what did they do? We do too, don't we? We we do the same thing. What what's you know, what do we do when you know when something adverse happens in our lives to us or to our family members? I mean, we turn to God. What happened on nine eleven? I mean, that's that's what we do, don't we? It's a shame that it, things like that have to happen to make people do that. And we know we you know we have the knowledge. We have God's word to guide us, and so we know what to do, don't we? So we have to be brought to our knees mm-hmm. sometimes. I agree with that. And we have to glorify God. We just have to, I just can't watch TVs anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to focus on what's doing the Lord's work. I agree. Seeking the lost. I agree, Susan. And I, I keep coming back to Paul uh, saying that he, he learned to be content whatever circumstance he was in. And I think we're going to find ourselves in that, aren't we? Real time. And um, uh, I was listening, re-listening to uh, Brother Don Blackwell's sermon, or one of those that he, he taught. It might have been a Bible lesson, I don't remember. But he was talking about that. I guess it was the sermon where he was talking about suffering. And... Uh, uh, he, he made the point that Paul learned it. 
You know, it wasn't like a switch he turned on. He learned it. He learned how to be content. And, and that's the key. It isn't just given to us on a, on a platter. You know, we have to learn it. Okay, so um, I think it's very fitting that, you know, as I said, it's the, the, the moments before Christ is betrayed, what's he doing? Praise. He's praying. Has, has, what's the last thing he's doing as he's, as he's using these last few moments, you know, as we've talked about over these last recent chapters with these apostles? He's, he's, he's grasping every moment and he's trying to teach them and convey to them everything that he can. And the last thing he, that we see here in that conversation is he's praying with them and for them. And then he goes on into the Garden of Gethsemane, and what does he do? He, he prays. He just, you know. They go to sleep, and he, he continues to pray. So, um, The Lord did not want to end this conversation, I think, with the, the apostles. Uh, without prayer to the Father. And, and as I said, he, he continues as he gets to the garden. The, the prayer in chapter 17 is a prayer that is really just, just very simple in its language. Very straightforward, nothing difficult to understand, but yet extremely profound. As a matter of fact, I, I would think you could even say this is remarkable how profound it is. As I said, it is what I think of as the real Lord's Prayer, where the prayer back in Matthew chapter 6 could be called maybe something like the prayer that the Lord taught the disciples to pray before the kingdom came, or before the kingdom was established, which is the church. This prayer in chapter 17, even though we said it's 26 verses, it's a relatively short chapter compared to the, you know, the other chapters of John. Um, 26 verses. Um, but um, it is the longest prayer recorded that was made by Jesus. And that in this prayer, he... He presents to his father an account of his own work. And then he, he presents a petition for the apostles who were to then take the work that the Lord had done and to continue that work and to go on with that work. After, after he's gone, they were going to have to continue this work. And, and, and then he, he, he offers... At, a, at the conclusion, a special prayer for the disciples that the apostles are going to teach and that those are going to teach and all the subsequent generations, which includes you and I, of course. So re, let me reread verses 1 through 2. Uh, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life as to as many as you gave him. And so Jesus prays that, that God and his Son may be glorified. And then, then he turns his attention to communion with the Father, with his Father. And, and also uh, another point comes to mind. 
he didn't pray this prayer in private, did he? He prayed it out loud in, in the presence of those, those 11 apostles. And, and so it, it was also for their edification that, that he did that. They needed to hear him pray to the Father and to hear what he was praying for and to hear his intercession on their behalf uh, for the apostles. And so he says, these words, he speaks of these words. Yes, ma'am. Could it also have been a party prayer? Because, you know, everything mm-hmm. happened like uh, verse 17, you know, sanctify them with that truth? Could it also be a party prayer? Because when you get to the uh, ascended, did he pray and went to the sacrament and split? But here, he spoke it out loud to everyone. But... I think so, yes. Uh, it, could, it could be thought of as a parting prayer, um, parting, if you will, from the apostles, you know. uh, I think that's what I mean by saying it was, you know, an intercession for them, you know, in that, an encouragement to them, for him, him, the Son of God, to be praying for them, you know, and for for the work that was ahead of them. So, I, th- I think when he speaks of these words, he's, he's talking about this discourse that, that we've been talking about for the last number of weeks, uh, going, you know, going back to them entering into the upper room back in chapter 13 and coming forward through those, those subsequent chapters that we've been, uh, we've been uh, looking at and studying. And he, he speaks of glorifying the Son course, the Son being Him. And so another word when we use glorify, another word for that is to lift up, lift up the Son. And, and so glorify the Son so that the Son may do the same for the Father. So, so Jesus is going to be glorified at this time because here He is, it's at, it's at the hour of His, his death, and, and especially his resurrection. Glorify him in his resurrection. That is how he will be glorified. John chapter 20 and verse 21, we'll talk about a little later on, of course, whoever is, is teaching that chapter. When we, when we can see the resurrection, that the resurrection will confirm all of his teachings. He, he, he says this, Jesus, So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. The resurrection will confirm everything that he claimed, everything he said, everything that he did, all of that to be true. He said, if if I am the Son of God, or uh, we might add to that, if I am the Messiah, and, and he is resurrected from the dead, if I am resurrected from the dead, then you know, you can be sure that it is absolutely the truth that He is the Son of God, that He is the Messiah because He was resurrected from the dead. But that resurrection from the dead not only glorifies the Son, it glorifies the Father. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. 
and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead. He glorified the Father by the resurrection from the dead. And so these petitions of Jesus should therefore be understood as are coming from a soul who is in direct harmony with God. Lifting up his eyes to heaven. And so, so we're thinking about, again, back to verses 1 and 2 of John chapter 17. Uh, I think some writers have said, well, he must have been outside when he did that. And that kind of falls back in line with you know, what we were talking about when we started out about this being in transit to... to uh, uh, toward the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, but that's not certain. That's just, just some speculation. The hour is come. What hour? What is the hour? Well, the hour is in reference to his impending death upon the cross, which was, of course, the, the culmination of his mission on earth. It was the hour exactly for what Jesus had come into the world. It was the hour of the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. It was the hour when the true Passover would be sacrificed. The hour when, when the Son of God would bruise the head of Satan and accomplish all the purposes that God had of achieving salvation for us and for all of mankind. And, and one thing we should, should notice here relative to the prayer, and, and I didn't emphasize this earlier, I should have, is the priority of God's glory. What's the first thing when we see these examples of, of Jesus' prayer? What does he do? What's the first thing? What is the order of priority there? It's to glorify God. Our, sorry. Mm-hmm. Before any earthly desire, whatever that might be, what comes first? The glory of God. That comes first in our prayers. Our Father, how will be thy name? Father in heart, art in heaven, we praise you, Father. You know, those sorts of things. And, it, and this corresponds back to Matthew 6 and verse 9, as, as we're talking about this here. Our Father which art in heaven, how will be your name? And so, as a result of the death and resurrection, uh, forgiveness is available to us. And, and, and Jesus was endowed or given the authority and had the power and the privilege of offering salvation to all men uh, on His conditions. And so, along with that, with that forgiveness will come the righteousness that's, that's produced or that, that produces life for man. And, and the Father and the Son are glorified. They're glorified in their effort to grant man the gift of eternal life. Eternal life in heaven means that, that we will have an eternal relationship with the Father and the Son. Real quickly, let's go on into verses 3 through 5. And this is the eternal life that they may know you, the only true God 
in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And so Jesus prays that his disciples have eternal life. And and he speaks of the manner in which that eternal life is, is obtained. Only when you come to the true knowledge of the Father and, and of His Son, Jesus Christ, do you realize eternal life. And, and you might think of it, it kind of like this. The, the fundamental condition of receiving eternal life is that man must know God and Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And, and, and even though the mission of Christ here was to end in his death, you know, on the cross, that was not defeat. Man, the man that did it probably thought they defeated him, but it wasn't defeat. In order to deliver men from their sins, he had to go to the cross. He had to be sacrificed. And, and, and Jesus regards that sacrifice, that death on the cross, as, as the culmination uh, of his labors and his mission. And, and, he, and he speaks of that. He speaks of having accomplished the work, which, which in turn, what did it do? It glorified the Father on earth. And, and he specifies that, that this glory is... is is kind of connected to his divine nature before he took on this fleshly state that he's currently in at the time. He had given up his position in heaven to come to the earth, and and he asked that his former state could be made his again. You know, his glory will be seen in, in his divine nature without the handicap of His human nature. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He refers to Himself as Jesus Christ. He's using kind of a third-person reference here to Himself. He, He declares Himself Christ right there this very night in Mark 14, 62. And... In, in kind of relative to that, that was a title that was kind of purposely avoided until now. What better way was there really to instruct the apostles that in prayer, uttered in the third person, and in which this expression, Jesus Christ, was used for the first time here on earth. And, you know, you. There's a song we sing sometimes, do you know the you know, do you know? We hear people say that, do you know Jesus? You know, some people use it in kind of an evangelistic sort of approach with people. Do you know Jesus? What does that word mean? What does the word know truly mean? What does it mean to know God? Well, let's see what scripture has to say about that. First John chapter two and verse four. He that saith, I know him 
and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So, first point, without obedience, you might have a few ideas about God, but you don't know God if you don't obey Him. Without love, you cannot know either the Father or the Son. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. The one that does not love does not know God. To know God is to be in Christ. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. No one can know God except by knowing Him in Christ. And this means to be united with Christ, to, to bear His name, to confess Him as Lord, and to accept all, all the obligations that are entitled or entailed by being baptized into Christ. You accept that. Knowing God means receiving God's Spirit, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. How do we receive the Spirit? We receive it by letting the word of Christ dwell in us. Through the inspired word as recorded by all of the New Testament writers through, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's how, that's how we have it. We do this through our study and our meditation on God's Word and our application of what we've learned out of God's Word uh, in our lives. The application of the Scriptures in our lives. Romans chapter 8, verses 9-11. through 11, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit of life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Another passage, 1 John 4, 13. Hereby we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. To know God, therefore, it's a concise reference to believing and obeying Jesus Christ. That's what that means. In verse 4, he prays uh, to God, I glorify thee. And this, of course, refers to Jesus' life uh, that is 
you know, soon he's soon to die on the cross. This perfect life of trust, this, this perfect trust, this perfect obedience uh, that also includes his sufferings that, that he's about to endure and his death. And, and it, here he's kind of prophetically talking as if, as if it's already accomplished. Glorify thou me refers to the receiving of Jesus back into the bosom of the Father where, where he had... Uh, resided eternally. Um, and it included, necessarily included Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. Um, I think, again, we're, we're out of time this morning. The implications of this passage are just so profound, and we could talk about it more. Um, he's praying for the Father here to glorify Him with the glory that He had possessed from before all time. But, but it was as a human being that Christ would ascend to the Father and He'd be endowed with this this everlasting glory. Therefore, man himself in the person of Christ is now seated on the throne and He's glorified. So we'll stop there. We'll pick up with verse 6, 17, verse 6 through 19 and and go on and talk about that next week. Thanks for your comments this morning and your attention and, and we'll stop there.